Hi, this is Janet Lansbury. Welcome to Unruffled. Today I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the nine rye parenting basics that I outlined in my article of the same title, Nine Rye Parenting Basics, Putting Respect into Action. So I left off on number three in my last podcast, which was about play. So number four is we allow children to develop motor and cognitive skills naturally according to their innate timetables by offering them free play and movement opportunities in an enriching environment rather than teaching, restricting, or otherwise interfering with these organic processes. Our role in development is primarily trust. Now, this natural motor development piece was a central part of Magda Gerber's mentor, Emmy Pickler's work. Through all her extensive, extensive observations and her work as a pediatrician in Hungary, she was able to note that children benefit from being allowed to design their motor development. And each child knows, their bodies know when they're ready to do the next uh, milestone and their unique way of getting there. Now, one of the controversies that has come out of this when I've shared it online and in other places, well, one part is tummy time. So with this approach, we recommend the baby begins on her back. A lot of people have said, well, why is that more natural than on their tummies? It's not that that position is more natural, but the back position, the supine position, allows for the most free movement. I mean, it's night and day if you lay on your tummy and you lie on your back, you'll see the difference in your ability, even with all of our strength that we have, all our mature motor development and our strength that we have in our arms to push ourselves up off the floor. It's not a uh, free-feeling position and one that promotes self-confidence in the child. And when babies are placed in this position in the early weeks and months, they, they really do feel kind of frozen there. And it's, they're straining their necks, which is putting undue pressure on the neck to lift their face off of the floor. So this doesn't bode well for the joy of play for that child, because the child is already feeling like, okay, this is me here on my own. I'm not in my mother's arms. And this is kind of uncomfortable. And I really can't do much in this position. And I can't see much. But on my back, I can see everything in the room. I mean, people say, well, they can't see everything. They actually can. The only thing they can't see is the floor beneath them, which is pretty much all the tummy time baby can see easily. So this is a big difference. And then from that position, and, you know, of course, parents can get on board with this at any time. They don't have to do this from the beginning for their child to get the benefits of natural motor development. But with that beginning babies will then start to stretch their limbs and shift and twist their bodies. And eventually they will decide that they should be rolling to their tummies. And we believe that's the perfect time for them to do it. Not a moment sooner. Giving this gift to our children when there's not a lot that they control in their universe <laughs> at birth, definitely not. Uh, they don't have a lot of power. But this is an area they can have power in. 
this, along with free play, is when they get to make choices, is when they get to do exactly what their body wants to do. They can feel, yes, I'm in control of something here. And it's a very healthy area for them to control. So that sense of control and agency in a world that's so overwhelming to them, they need us so much. They are very dependent in a lot of ways, but they're definitely not completely helpless and passive. And I think that's the big difference between this and other approaches that consider them basically helpless and sort of treat them that way, you know, until some age, I'm not sure when they, when that age is, uh, when they're able to start to be initiators of play and development. Natural motor development is a safer approach in that children are encouraged to be fully aware of their abilities, of balance of space. They do not take unsafe risks when they're raised this way, whereas children that are helped onto things and helped to walk will not be as secure in their awareness of their body's abilities. So they're not as safe. Um, they cannot be trusted to take risks as children with natural motor development can. So what Pickler noted was that this is not only, in her opinion, healthier for physical development. It's also healthier for emotional development, for self-confidence, and a feeling of agency in the world. And if you can have a little bit of that, you know, at this age, that's pretty good. That's at the core of your being, that you can do things. So number five is sort of along those lines. It's we value intrinsic motivation and inner directedness. So we acknowledge effort and take care not to overpraise. We trust our children to know themselves better than we know them. So we allow children to lead when they play and choose enrichment activities rather than projecting our own interests. We encourage our children's passions and support them to fulfill their dreams. So there are a couple things in that. One, the, this value of intrinsic motivation and inner directedness. Uh, this it's, it's sort of a fragile aspect of ourselves in the sense that it can be taken away. Um, I think we can get it back again. But a lot of what this approach does is help to preserve what children are naturally born with. They're born self-learners. They're born self-directed. And they're born with intrinsic motivation and inner directedness. But we can take that away if we make a big deal out of everything and then there suddenly it becomes about us and it's not about them and their accomplishment anymore. So a quieter response like or a more really a more attuned response like, wow, and you're looking right in their eyes. I saw you did that by yourself. There's just as much enthusiasm in there, but it's preserving that intrinsic motivation. And knowing themselves better than we know them, that's all wrapped up in play, which then becomes enrichment activities as they get older. Even if we say, hey, why don't you try doing tennis? And it feels like we're just offering something. To some children that can feel like my mom really wants me to do this, or my dad, that's what they want me to do. Maybe I should do that. And that's kind of steering them a little bit away from what do I really want to work on right now? What's interesting to me? What's appealing to me? What am I attracted to? 
What the Rye approach encourages is keeping that connection clear for our children, that they really feel what they are drawn to and what they want to work on. And again, that goes along with motor development and play and, you know, learning in the first years. We can give them this window of time before they go to kindergarten, first grade, to have their own self-directed learning, to get to know themselves and get confident in their choices. And that will stay at their core. So these years are very important in the beginning. Then number six, we encourage children to express their emotions by openly accepting and acknowledging them. Wow, now this is a big one. I think this is the most challenging aspect of parenting by far. And really, it never gets easier. Well, it gets easier, but it never gets easy. As a parent of a 23-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 14-year-old, I can say that when my kids are upset about something, all I want to do is take that away. When they're angry at me, I want to run away or lash back out at them. Accepting the feelings, just letting them be is very hard. And of course, it's very, very hard in the beginning with a baby who can't tell us very easily what she needs. And that's when Magda Gerber said it's even more important to be careful and not misrespond. Sometimes we're going to misrespond. You know, we're going to nurse her when she really needed to burp or um, pick her up when she was actually working on turning over. And maybe we didn't see that or we weren't observing or we just wanted to rush in because we just hated that sound of hearing her upset. It's challenging, but it's a worthy challenge because every time we respond to emotions, we give children a message about their feelings. And if those feelings are safe for them to feel and express, if it's okay with us, if it's, you know, a safe place for them to go in their life. These messages, again, there's a lot of uh, controversy around a baby ever making a sound, <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's hard to allow a baby to express anything because um, nothing they say sounds that good in the beginning until they start cooing and all that. But they express quite a variety of things through crying and understanding their cries, really taking the time and being attuned to it is really, I don't know, an heroic uh, parenting act, I think. It's much easier to make it stop. And children need to know from the beginning that these people that are so powerful in their, their life, their parents, accept all these parts of them and want to hear them and want to know about them and want to learn about them and respond in a way that's truly helpful. And sometimes that means listening. I did a podcast with Lisa Sunbury that I highly recommend for people interested in this wry approach to crying because we uh, spoke about this at length. So knowing that emotions are always good to express, that children always, the way I see it, it's always the perfect thing for them to be doing right there, believe it or not. I mean, not throwing things and screaming in our ear. We can stop that from happening, and we should. But, wow, you really feel strongly about that. You didn't like that. Encouraging them to express it and trying to understand. We're not always going to understand. A lot of times we won't, but it helps if children know that we're trying and that we're not afraid of them going to those places. 
uh, they won't be afraid if we're not afraid. And then I believe we can avoid a lot of the issues that a lot of us have with, you know, substances and alcohol and overeating and other eating issues and depression, anxiety. I think we can prepare our children to hopefully avoid those things by fearlessly facing their feelings as much as we can. So I hope some of this helps. I could obviously go on uh, all day. I won't because I know it's easier to listen to in small doses. So thank you for listening. And again, check out my books. Check out Magda Gerber's books, Your Self-Confident Baby and Dear Parent, Caring for Infants with Respect. Elevating Child Care is the book of mine that's probably most apropos to what I'm covering in this podcast. Thanks so much. We can do this.